Welcome to the Internet of Nature podcast, your home for open and thought-provoking conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators on their technologies for building greener and smarter cities. Hey everyone, I'm Nadina Khala and welcome to a brand new episode of the Internet of Nature podcast. This week, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Jared Hanley, the co-founder and CEO of NatureQuant. NatureQuant is an incredible company I just started working with. They develop a suite of tools to monitor, quantify, and evaluate natural elements and exposure to nature. The origin story of NatureQuant is almost perfect. An excerpt from a research article on them in Outside Magazine described it in this way, and I quote, once upon a time, a data guy, that's Jared, a software guy, Chris, and an environmental physiologist, also Chris, met on a hut-to-hut ski traverse of Oregon's Three Sisters Wilderness. Snowy shoots under bluebird skies by day, then starry nights in rustic huts stocked with Ben's finest microboos. Mountain air and hearty camaraderie, no cell service. Though they didn't know it at the time, the three men were taking off the four domains that would subsequently be at the heart of their AI-powered algorithm for quantifying the health benefits of nature, environmental quality, stress reduction, physical activity, and social contact, end quote. NatureQuant is building an app powered by big data and machine learning, giving people the tools to monitor and evaluate their nature exposure, tracking it much like a fitness app tracks your movement. It delivers a total nature score and a nature dose, which could be you know anywhere between 10 minutes a day, 120 minutes a week, whatever your goal is of time in nature. But I'll tell, I'll let Jared tell you more about that. Before we kick off, a big thank you to this season's sponsor, the International Society of Arboriculture. The ISA is a global network that uses research, technology, and education to promote the professional practice of arboriculture and the benefits of trees. ISA exists so that professionals, public officials, and consumers worldwide recognize the economic, environmental, and societal benefits and values of trees and their care. We want to thank them for their support. And as always, remember to subscribe and leave us a comment or review if you learn something new. Enjoy this episode with Jared. Hey, Jared. Thanks for joining me. Hi, thanks for having us. Of course. Uh, to kick us off, do you mind just quickly introducing yourself? Yeah, uh, Jared Hanley. I'm the uh, CEO and co-founder of NatureQuant. And what is NatureQuant? Yeah, NatureQuant is simply a technology company designed to uh, deliver new mechanisms to quantify the quality and quantity of nature. That sounds like a tough job. It it is. And it's actually substantially harder than we thought it would ever be. (laughs) Even the definition of nature is something that's quite slippery, but we have a few techniques and a few tools now at our disposal to help, um, I think, bring intelligence around what nature is where and what kind of impact is it having on, on our health and our environment broadly. How did you guys, um, well, who, who's behind NatureQuant first off, and how did you guys come up with the, the, the idea to do this? So um, founded the company a couple of years ago with a few other partners. Um, I'm kind of the data science and business development guy. We have uh, our CTO, who's a, a tech wizard. And then our third founder is an expert in human physiology and has been studying the impact of environment on physiology for a long time. But we were all quite familiar with kind of the scientific literature around the benefits of nature exposure, which largely kind of examined proximity to nature, particularly where you live and how that seems to be correlated with certain health outcomes. And we, A, we wanted to make that actionable. So we wanted to allow any 
individual or agency to be able to use that kind of intelligence to understand, okay, what nature is around me and what kind of health impacts might that be having right now. But the other thing we wanted to do was kind of go beyond proximity to nature and understand interaction with nature. So we have a, a mobile application also that it's about to come out. It's called Nature Dose that monitors an individual's activity and knows how often they are exposed to nature. So how often they're outside versus inside. And when they're outside, what kind of environment are they in? Is it nature rich? Are they in a park? Are they near a lake? Uh, that kind of detail. Hmm. So kind of, I've heard you use um, this this term before of, you know, could 120 minutes in nature be the new 10,000 steps? Is that kind of the end goal of NatureCont is to get people outside and aware of these all these different health benefits it can have? Yes. I think one of the main goals is, first of all, educate the public around how important it is to get outside on occasion and get some form of nature exposure. The 120 minutes is, is I think, a good starting point for understanding kind of what's a minimum effective dose. But part of what we're trying to do is really get down to the detail of what type of exposure is most important, what length of exposure, and what an ele- what specific elements do you need to be exposed to. And so the starting point is, you know, basically get outside on occasion, get off your screen, interact with the natural world. But the ultimate goal, I think, over the long run is to really fine tune that into specific activities, specific exposure elements to you know, really optimize that nature prescription, if you will. Yeah, because that I mean, that in itself is kind of this a very new thing, this idea that doctors are actually prescribing time out in nature to their patients because of all these proven health benefits. But then the next logical question, of course, is how much do you prescribe? And are, so what's kind of the status of nature prescriptions in the U.S. at least? And how could doctors potentially use this app to help better understand what that dose could be? Yeah. So there, there are thousands of doctors writing what we would call nature prescriptions. Actually, more commonly now in the U.S., they're park prescriptions. So they'll tell a patient, you know, go to a park twice a week for 30 minutes each session. Um, And then they'll have them answer survey data around, okay, now how do you feel mentally? How are you sleeping? Are you less anxious, et cetera? That that is kind of the state of affairs. I think there's also just general, you know, nonprofit organizations and some insurance companies just promoting time outside. But what we're trying to do is bring big data and uh, machine learning to all of this to just really understand more specifically what's important about being outside, what elements of the outdoors are bestowing what benefits, both mentally and physically. And so with our technology, you know, if someone is using our app, for example, and wearing a, a smartwatch, we'll know very clearly, like, when you spent that time paddling on that lake, you slept better, or your heart rate variability improved, or your blood pressure went down when you went to the park for 30 minutes, and really try and ferret out all the nuance of our complicated world and our complicated bodies to, to understand, you know, what is the, the optimal way to behave in, in our environment to improve our health. Right. Because there is some, there's some pretty wild studies out there in terms of the benefits of nature on human health and well-being. What, what's some of the, the craziest research that you've seen? Oh, well, you're right. There's a lot of wild stuff. I think the one that I find most fascinating, we've been talking to this guy, uh, Peter Kahn at the University of Washington, who's actually creating virtual reality nature experiences, uh, largely for patients who are bedridden or just unable to get outside. And so they'll enter a virtual reality world that's a certain type of nature scene, and hopefully, you know, that helps them heal a little faster or improve their mood. And so that's it's funny to me because it's so ironic and that we're using like all of this like really advanced technology to get people to experience nature in a way 
but uh, things like that are happening. And, it, you know, the results that he's found, and I think a lot of other just odd, you know, technology interventions like that seem to be impactful. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I think we're just at the, the cusp of understanding what nature can do for us. And a large part of that also is having this role of technology is, is being able to better quantify it, to really be able to move it, move ahead, not only as a, perhaps as a parks or as a nature prescription, but also as just a key part of, of public health policy, I would argue. Yes. Yeah. I and mean, that's really at the core of what we're doing is, is, creating data or creating numbers around nature, you know, to, to measure stuff means it matters or to uh, manage stuff, you need to measure it. I mean, no matter how you want to slice it, nature needs a number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's largely what we're trying to do is, is really create quantifiable data around what nature is where, and then how are people interacting with it? And then what outcomes do we see? Are they living longer? Is there less asthma? Are urban heat islands reduced, et cetera? Right. And so by bringing, you know, big data and then this machine learning process to, to all of this analysis, we feel like we can further the public knowledge. And as much as you can, um, dive into a little bit of the machine learning component behind NatureQuant. Yeah. So, you know, one of the first things we did, at least in the U.S., is we tried to understand what natural elements exist where. So we've we've pulled in, you know, we have a data dictionary of, I think, 35, 40 elements or 40 remote sensing technologies to understand what nature exists where. And then we wanted to see how that correlated with certain health outcomes of individuals living in those types of environments. And so then we ran a machine learning process between our massive data set of all the natural elements and where they are. And then our known health outcomes of individuals that lived in all those locations. Mm. And what that ferrets bubbles up into is an algorithm that then tells you these are the natural elements that seem to be most impactful for these types of health outcomes or most tightly associated with those types of health outcomes. And so that was kind of our, our, our initial foray into this machine learning process. And now we've done the same thing with urban heat islands, or we actually looked at the spread of COVID as it relates to natural elements. You really can't apply any target outcome to our data set of natural elements and see if there's a, an association that's meaningful. Yeah, let's let's touch upon COVID for a second, because the findings were were pretty surprising, even in my eyes, even as someone who reads up on this stuff. I mean, the the link between having nature nearby and reduced cases of COVID, and, and even after you guys controlled for population density, which is, of course, the biggest determinant of the spread of any disease, really. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. As I said, there's always so many elements of your environment that are determining your health. It's hard to you know, identify just one, like just say it is the nature that seems to be reducing COVID cases. But one thing that a lot, I think a lot of researchers have also honed in on is the fact that where you find more nature, you tend to find better air quality. Mm-hmm. And so when you live in an environment that has poor air quality, your lungs are you know, mildly inflamed all the time. And you, so you're basically your immune system's slightly jeopardized to begin with. And so one theory is that, you know, being near nature seems to bestow better air quality, which also may make you um, more robust in terms of those kinds of respiratory infections. Right. But honestly, we don't know, you know, like a lot of things, you know, we always see these associations between nature and an outcome, but we don't really know the causal effect. And that's until we get more and more data and we're able to splice away all those other covariates. I don't know that we'll really know exactly why you see less COVID in areas with more nature, but we do see that there's an association that repeatedly, you know, is presented in the data. So there's obviously something happening. And I think over time, we'll be able to figure out exactly what, what those elements are that seem to be, you know, connecting those, those two seemingly divergent factors. 
And, and by elements, you mean different nature elements. So whether that's a high canopy cover or whether that's an actual park or whether that's a grassland or how should we kind of define those different elements? When I say different elements of nature, yes, it could be a tree. It could be a lake. It could be simply the lack of human modification. So the lack of density of highways or buildings, it could be percent impervious surfaces. You know, when you see a lot of the, the historical studies, they'll look at simply greenness or they'll look at proximity to park space, which are, are great you know, ways to distill nature into a single factor. Yeah. What we're doing is bringing in as many factors as we can, all these different elements, running the machine learning process and having that tell us what is most impactful, you know, is our asthma rates reduced when you see more trees or is obesity reduced when there's more park space? It's just, you know, it's, it's a complicated world and like to really ferret out what is influencing what we feel like we need to use this big data approach. One of these, um, elements that I would just that just came to mind. I recorded a podcast with uh, John Judge, the president and CEO of the Appalachian Mountain Club recently. And he was telling me that one of their parks in Maine has now become an official, I'm going to get this wrong, but an official dark sky zone. I think that's what it was, where you just, I mean, it's, it's, it's huge in like astronomy tourism, astrotourism. He told me all about that. Um, but also that could be an interesting kind of element that you could add to that as well. Uh, this idea that there's no light pollution. <laughs> we do factor in light pollution, actually. It's funny you mentioned that. There you go. Yeah. So we look at various forms of human modification, air pollution, light pollution, noise pollution, um, building footprints, as I mentioned, densities of highways. So all of those factors, you know, obviously play a role in determining how natural any location is. And light pollution is, is a big one. Yeah, absolutely. Bring us into a little bit kind of the entrepreneurial journey of NatureQuant so far, because I do know we have a lot of entrepreneurially minded listeners on the show that might be interested how you can actually build a business case off of something that's, you know, mission driven, led by a love for nature, but also tech driven. And there's also a business case behind it. Take the listeners through how that works. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe it'll be helpful to take a step back and talk about kind of our two main product suites. You know, the first is uh, really data, a data sales platform or a mapping platform, if you will, where we can quantify the amount of natural elements for any location. And we call that nature score. And so that data is important for a various types of analysis and we can sell that data into the real estate world or say you're a city planner and you want to understand which community is most nature deficient we can surface that data if environmental justice is a big one so a lot of companies want to invest in into areas where they feel like there's higher need we can bring kind of a unique aspect of quantifying how much nature is in any location and and sell that data into those platforms. The second piece is this Nature Dose app, which is, you know, something that we're really motivated to get out in the public and make it freely accessible. So we need financial support from other avenues. So, so whether that's like a municipality that wants to support public health, you know, a park department that want to promote park use or even an insurance company that recognizes that by getting people outdoors and interacting with the natural world is going to reduce their healthcare costs. So they want to support that for all of their members. You know, those are, you know, various ways we can basically bring this new intelligence to the market and have it supported by basically uh, big institutions, but not really charge the public as much. And I know that, so Nature Dose is coming out by the end of the year, um, by the end of 2021 in the U.S. and then other countries might follow. 
Yes. Yeah. We're in conversations with a couple of groups in Canada about scoring Canada and the EU and the UK shortly thereafter. It'll be available to a lot more of us pretty soon. And what, what do you say to people who have, you know, justified concerns around, you know, the GPS tracking that an app like NatureDose has to use in order to function? Well, I mean, not that it solves a problem, but I will say if you own a smart form, you're already being tracked. <laughs> so this is not a new problem. Um, you know, but we are like hypersensitive of, of understanding that that data needs to be confidential. And, and the other thing we do with the data is say, you know, we, we take a given day, we know that you've been outside for, you know, call it an hour and you were in a park for 20 minutes of that. We can distill all of your location data for that day into a couple of simple metrics. Minutes you spent inside, minutes you spent outside, minutes you spent exposed to nature, mm-hmm. maybe number of park visits. And so once that data is distilled just to those few basic sub elements that that information is not really so sensitive unless you're really concerned about people knowing how often you're inside and outside and so the 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 core gps data is is not essential to what we're doing or analyzing and it's really understanding how much time you spend indoors and outdoors and your general nature exposure and it's kind of meant as not as a fitness tracker app, but kind of like how you might use, you know, the inherent step counter that your phone might already have, something that you might check at. It's not something you have to turn on when you go outside. It's something that runs in the background. And then at the end of the day, you can check what your nature dose was for that day. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you onboard on the app, we kind of are going to indicate that, look, we don't want you constantly looking at your phone or interacting with this app. It's really like a lifestyle guide or intervention, if you will, to kind of motivate you to think about getting outside, spend time outside. And we'll send you summaries maybe once in the middle of the week to tell you where you are in your progress mm-hmm. and once at the end of the week to see how you did. We're actually intentionally not even showing updates in your nature dose in real time. We're batching that data simply because we don't want people outside just watching their phone saying, okay, what's my, how many minutes do I have now? How many minutes do I have now? It's really just kind of a, a way to motivate people to just think about using nature as a health tool, not as a fun way to play with your phone and, and you know, look at the stats. Although if people want to gamify it and, you know, compete against their friends with who gets outside more, not opposed to that. Yeah, no, that that actually could be fun. We have thought about like doing community challenges or school challenges where, you know, get 10,000 nature dose hours as a team and you get a reward, you know, things like that certainly are doable. Um, We've, you know, there's the whole Pokemon Go kind of augmented game world where we can do the same with just time outside essentially you get rewards you get um you know badges etc so i think for certain populations that might be a fun aspect that, that we can approach um it's well it's funny actually because i was having a conversation recently with someone who who heads up a big team in the corporate world and she was saying that she was having a lot of trouble you know keeping her staff engaged her team engaged especially during the pandemic when everyone was working from home and one of the things that she said was really successful and uh, not just for you know the productivity of the team but also for a feeling of camaraderie and a feeling of connection even though everybody was apart was setting up these 10,000 step challenges where people basically teammates would uh, basically compete against each other to see who could hit 10,000 steps the longest streak or however many steps it was. So who knows, maybe uh, getting outside and using the nature dose might be a way to do that as well. Yeah, I think so. And it's, you know, we think it's important, not just how many steps you take, but where you take them, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I think, you know, one big element of what we're doing, you know, obviously we're promoting nature exposure, but we're getting people out of the built environment, hopefully off their screens and outside for a little bit. So it's really, 
you know, unplug for a few minutes to come back and be more productive and happier afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of businesses are recognizing that, you know, managing employee health in ways like that are better for them in the long run. Um, even if it does mean that they take a break and go for a walk in the middle. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's only helpful. And I think what's interesting too is, um, and maybe you can speak, maybe you have more evidence on that about the multiplier effect that green can have on that nature exposure can have to a number of activities that you might already do outside, whether that's going for a walk or going for a run, doing that in a green area can have X amount more benefits than just doing that in an urban environment. Is there evidence to back that up? Oh yeah, definitely. In fact, a lot of the interventional studies are, are something exactly like that, where they'll have a group walk in a park and another group walk in an urban environment, and then they'll measure the outcomes afterwards, both like mental states, are people happy or less, less stressed? Right. They'll do things where they measure their cognitive performance, uh, memory, how long can they you know, focus on something through attention span? And consistently, the group that did that experience in a natural environment versus an urban environment outperform or are happier or are healthier. So, I mean, the evidence in that respect is quite robust. And I do think there's a lot of other just kind of co-benefits when you get outside. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you are more active generally, right? So you're moving around. So there's basic physical activity, but you're also more social. You know, you're seeing people in your community. You're maybe running into your neighbor. And then you're exposed to things just like variations in temperature, sunlight. So there's all these kind of like ancillary things that simply getting outside can, can do for you that seem to bestow benefit. Don't you think it's a little bit crazy that we've gotten to the point as a society that we now even have to encourage people to get outside something so basic as that? Oh yeah. It's um, I, I'm often fascinated. I mean, if you think about our evolutionary history, we were outdoors like 99% of the time. And now it's kind of the flip. We're indoors 98, 99% of the time. I kind of liken it to that fable of the, I think it's the toad in boiling water, where if you just slowly raise the temperature, the toad won't jump out. And then eventually he, he gets heated to the point where he dies. And we're just like slowly ramping up the built environment, slowly ramping up the screen time. And we're all just accepting it as normal, even though the reality is this is drastically different than you know, how mm. we're built biologically, evolutionarily. We're not built to be inside in front of screens 12 to 14 hours a day. So on a, on a personal level, as someone that's, you know, trying to grow and successfully growing a high growth startup, how do you incorporate some of these lessons into your own life? Well, I, I'm using the app. <laughs> so that's one thing that I'll say. And I sometimes am shocked. It'll say, you know, you've spent like 95% of this week indoors. And I, you know, that kind of reminds me, wow, I need to, right. I need to get outside a little more, but I do try and take a break and at least go for a little walk around the neighborhood or go sit in a park once a day. I, I find that it gives me just such an amazing mental reset. I'm able to focus. I'm more creative. I just feel better. I have more energy. So it's just a really valuable use of my time. So even if I'm solely focused on just being productive, getting outside for a little while, it seems to amplify that. So I, I think a lot of people feel like, oh, there's so much going on. I can't, I can't step away and go for a walk. If, if they realize that just by doing that, actually, they can get more done, I, that may shift the mindset a little bit. There's this, there's this great quote. I don't know if it is from someone in the Netherlands. I've only seen it in Dutch and there's never a name associated with it, but it's along the lines of you should spend at least 20 minutes of your day outside, unless you're super busy, then you should spend at least an hour outside. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that sounds right to me. Yeah. Yeah. We've lost uh, recognition of the value of like a pause or any kind of like deep thought. 
even all of our conversations or tweets, you know, everything's shortened and truncated and fast. And I think there's real value in slowing down occasionally, thinking about something deeply and for a length of time, yeah. or even just not focusing for a while, just get a soft fascination at, you know, at the tree canopy or just looking off into space. Um, you know, I think that gives us a real mental reset. And actually there's this whole medical term around attention restoration theory, which, which implies that by going outside and not focusing for a period of time, you restore your attention, you restore your ability to focus. Yeah, no, I, I believe that. I mean, there's so many things that, again, I think the pandemic have really brought to light. Even I, I've i heard just anecdotally, and I was doing some research because I was fascinated by it, that anecdotally, a lot of people were saying to me that their, it felt like their eyes had become a lot more sensitive to sunlight more that they felt like, you know, it was like a lot brighter outside and they were like, is it just that we're having less cloudy days or what is it? And it turns out, at least according to their optometrists, it turns out that just an increased level of screen time and specifically that blue light can actually change your eyes and change how it deals with different types of light, making sunlight all the bit more sensitive, even though actually having exposure to direct sunlight, like without sunglasses on your eyes is a really important part of uh, dealing, having your circadian rhythm uh, be in check. And also, you know, making sure, especially during winter that your body realizes, okay, now it is daylight. Now I can soak up the limited vitamin D that I do have access to and all these other benefits as well. It's, it's kind of insane what we're doing to our bodies on a, physiological level. Oh, yeah, it goes even beyond that. I think this study was out of South Korea, the level of myopia. So, you know, basically eye distortion to be nearsighted is something like 40% higher than it was just 15 years ago among young males. And they think that's because they're just in front of screen so much more and they're not getting enough, you know, natural daylight that their eyes are literally working less, less efficiently than they have just as little as a decade ago. Oh, that's bizarre. It just sends a, sends a shiver down my spine. It's just so crazy. So how do you, you know, where do you kind of see nature quant growing? Cause I, I feel like there is, there's, you know, obviously you have the nature score and you have nature dose, but even within both of those, there's so many different ways that you can apply it. I know that we've briefly discussed that there's, you know, there's health insurers that already reward um, their clients, their customers for, you know, for example, getting that 10,000 steps or getting their heart rate up certain times, um, uh, however many of certain times of the week, they can actually get rewarded on that and perhaps um, get benefits or pay less in their insurance premium uh, because they're taking active steps to improve their health. And you were saying that obviously, you know, being out in nature can play a really important role in that as well. And having a way to quantify that might be a way to reward people for being in nature. But again, when we reward people for being in nature, we have to also be very cognizant of the fact that accessibility to nature is not equitable everywhere. How is, how is, I know that nature quant has the, um, is it the nature score priority index? that you guys have developed as well to kind of shed a light on where nature might be deficient in, in certain areas. Yes. Yeah. So at least in the U.S., I can speak to this. You know, nature is not equal, equally distributed among the population, even by a remote stretch. And so one of the things that we've examined is, you know, particularly in urban environments, where is the nature and where is it not? So we identify these communities that are nature deficient. And what the Nature Score Priority Index does is it examines our nature score, you know, by community, and then also looks at area deprivation. So, 
look at for communities that are have lower levels of income, lower levels of education, less access to health care or quality food. They have all these other disadvantages, plus they're nature deficient. So those are the communities where we really need to focus our efforts to improve the environment. And, you know, obviously we're focused on improving the environment with more green infrastructure, some more tree canopy, more parks, because we've seen, you know, the kind of impact that that can have on the public health in that area. So that's a real focus for us. You know, we're, we're sending that data to a bunch of nonprofits. And then actually, we've just started some conversations with the National Park Service around that to create, if you will, like an environmental justice scorecard to allow organizations and governments to really hone in on the communities of highest need. How do you see the data being developed by NatureQuant? How can that structurally underpin, you know, better evidence-based public health policies around equitable access to nature? Well, so... I would say broadly, the movement of understanding environmental, social, and behavioral determinants of health is a really big and rapidly growing movement. So we are now really, I mean, the term you always hear is that your your zip code determines your health outcome more than your genetic code, right? And that the data continually proves that. And so now that we're able to recognize that, you know, where you live and how you behave is just as important as whatever kind of medicine you're going to create or whatever kind of prescription you're going to give someone. We want to be the group that understands the, how nature in particular is impacting health. So that one environmental determinant. And so, you know, the more data we can get around precisely understanding what natural elements are where and the health outcomes of the populations that live there, I think the more intelligence we'll have and the better interventions we can create. And so that's, that's really our goal. I mean, it's really to connect nature and health broadly with big data to just further the intelligence and then start using nature as a public health tool more than it has been historically. And, it, and that's the thing is it, it doesn't, these interventions that you talk about, I mean, the, the word interventions can sound really big, but it, it, it can start small. Like there was this great study out of Philadelphia, I think it was, that they um, basically they cleaned up and greened up these different vacant lots that they had in certain neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And even by, when I say greening up, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, planting a whole house of trees. Sometimes that just means letting nature grow and just creating this kind of more natural park feeling environment. And I don't remember the exact stats that came out of it, um, but essentially just immediate feelings of safety, of mental health improvements, of social cohesion. I mean, it's pretty incredible. It's And, and that's, I think, what blows my mind every time is that it, it, it seems quite simple what we need to do. We need to, we need to get outside and we need to improve the natural spaces yeah. that we have close <laughs> to us. Yeah. It doesn't have to be complicated. It, it's simply adding more green. So living walls, um, more trees, even just more windows, ensuring everyone has access to a window and can see outside. And then motivating people to get outdoors. Yeah. You know, we've been working with a few groups monitoring mental health. And one of the biggest determinants of like severe mental distress is individuals that never leave their house. And so I think it's twofold. It's just getting people to recognize it's important to go outside occasionally. And then when they're outside, let's make sure that they have access to some, some greenery, ideally a park, but even without that, you know, some trees along the streets or, you know, like a living wall or some, some kind of greenery that they can go relax next to. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I really hope that helps in terms of, I mean, when we talk about greening cities, we roughly kind of talk about these, you know, this trifold in terms of benefits you can expect on, you know, the economic level, the ecological level, and then thirdly, kind of that social level. But even within that kind of that, that third umbrella of social, I don't think we're really fully grasping just the role that nature can have even on our our physical health. I think the mental health is more and more well known, but can you speak a little bit in terms of what what the access to nature can do to our physical health? Oh yeah, it's it's prof- it's profound. I mean, I guess probably the best thing to do is just like paint a picture for you. If if you walk into a park and you sit there for 20 minutes, we can measure your cortisol level, which is a stress hormone. It it consistently drops. Your blood pressure goes down. Your heart rate variability, which is kind of a measurement of how stressed you are versus, you know, relaxed and, and ready to you know, take on a challenge, improves dramatically. There's all these biomarkers that, you know, cause over the long haul, you know, I think some poor, you know, negative health outcomes that we can instantly identify improving when you enter a green space. And so aside from, you know, just mental states, it's very clear that our physiology changes when we're in a natural environment. What's hard, and it's always hard with humans because we live such complicated lives and complicated worlds, is like ferreting out like all these different behaviors and elements that are influencing cancer rates over, you know, the course of 40 years. So we'll really, I think it'll take a long time for us to just ferret out exactly what natural elements are doing what but something as simple as sitting in a park for 20 minutes changes your biomarkers that we know right now and that's impactful and important yeah that's incredible that's incredible i mean we we talked um just briefly about kind of who the potential customers could be of nature quant um in terms of health insurance and other parties what are some of these these other organizations that you guys are looking at that could be useful partners and or clients for nature quant yeah well you know i think insurers at least in the states are the big ones because they seem to dictate you know what kind of medical interventions are funded uh, to the extent i would like to say you know the doctors and the patients have say over that but i think it's largely driven top down so i think getting insurance companies to recognize that prescribing nature is super low cost i mean you could even argue that it's free and it's very effective and so once we can quantify the cost savings that an insurer can experience simply by motivating their, their members to get outside, I think that'll be kind of an easy an easy impl- implementation for them. But then I think more broadly, if you look at like park departments or countries where there's a single payer system and they are just generally motivated to improve public health, they should be motivated to get people outside and build more you know green infrastructure for their population because it's just going to reduce healthcare costs. And again, all of this is just talking about kind of the economics of it. And we are doing a few clinical trials now to examine specifically how much the healthcare interventions are reduced when someone meets a nature prescription. And so I think over time, we'll be able to really hone in on economically how important is this for the the GDP, if you will, <laughs> rather than just like you know, the goodwill of improving an individual's health. Yeah. And, and one of the things I'm really hoping too, is that more and more we do have it that if there's a permit to cut down a certain tree for a new development or what have you, there are certain values you can attribute to that tree in terms of how much CO2 it sequesters, how much stormwater it filters through, how much what it does for the air quality. But that's about it. That's about where we go in terms of ecosystem service valuation. And I think that's really a shame because we are missing not only a large part of what these trees specifically can do for our human health and well-being, but also like the massive, massive costs that could be saved if that even that on that individual tree level was saved. And I don't think we're t- currently taking that into account, which is still leading to, you know, 
really urban tree losses on an, on a massive and unprecedented rate. I don't even think people realize just how many trees we're losing. I mean, the vast majority of cities were losing more trees than are being planted every year. And that's not something we can keep up for too long. So I, I, that's, that's my hope really with all of this is that we can really factor that into, um, hopefully a better business case of why it doesn't make sense to to cut down those trees because hopefully those values will be included in that as well. Yeah, and I would argue the reason that's not taken into account is it's very hard to quantify, right? You can't, it's very hard to say, you know, these people are going to have more asthma because you're cutting down all those trees because we haven't been able to create the data sets to definitively demonstrate that association. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. And even, I mean, you take the inverse. I mean, you can look at these pollutants, right? So say you have someone who's dramatically reducing air quality and you see the cancer rates in a close proximity to that factory. We're still not even taxing that factory for the, the healthcare costs that that pollutant is creating, which is even more, I think, in my mind, much easier to calculate. So calculating the benefits of nature is, is a little more difficult, but it's certainly not an insurmountable challenge. And, and we're, we're excited to take that challenge on. I think we can solve it. Yeah, that's awesome. Where where can people um, find you and find Nature Quant if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, well, I'm on LinkedIn, Jared Hanley. Um, I always love talking to people about this stuff, so please reach out. And then uh, our website is naturequant.com. There's a bunch of white papers on there about uh, our technology, but also just some of the background on the connections between nature and health. So if you're curious about that, it's there's some nice summary data there, as well as a, a, a mailing list if you want to sign up for early invite to our Nature Dose application and, and play with that as well. And then finally, you know, we are doing a bunch of trials, uh, clinical trials with our data. If you're curious or want to be a, a volunteer, we're always looking for people excited about kind of helping, you know, further the public knowledge about um, all these impacts. That's awesome. And this will, this episode will come out in January. So that means that Nature Dose app will be live in the States. So for anyone listening, they can go to the app store and download it. Awesome. Yeah, there'll be uh, an Android and iOS version. So you should be able to find it in either spot. Awesome. That's exciting. And uh, the last question I want to ask you, Jared, that I ask all of the guests who come on the show is what does the Internet of Nature mean to you? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think when I think of the word internet, I think of like many various things interconnected or related to each other, influencing each other in some way. And when I think of the internet or nature, it, it really is core to what we're doing is trying to understand how nature is connected to us physically and mentally and how, you know, it's all one big web that's interacting in, in many various confusing and, and beautiful ways. And then we're trying to you know, figure that out. You see big data again, obviously. Think of everything being digitized and quantified and everything having a number, which is what we're doing. Internet of nature is a perfect description for nature quant. Wow. Cheers to that. I think that's a great place to end it. Great. Well, thank you, Nadina. Thanks for coming on. It was great being on. Big thanks to Jared for coming on. It's been such a pleasure to work with him over the last few months. If you enjoyed that interview as much as I did, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast now and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. We really appreciate it and it really helps to grow the show. We'll be back next week with Josh Benunek from Davy Tree Expert Company. He's obsessed with the intersection of trees, people, and technology. So obviously, it's going to be a great episode. Don't miss it. In the meantime, if you're in the US, make sure you download Nature Dose in the App Store or Google Play Store and start tracking your nature exposure today. What's your average? Send me a message and let me know. 
And lastly, a big thank you to this show's sponsor, the International Society of Aboriculture. If you want to learn more about some of the most topical issues in the aboricultural industry and network with industry experts and peers, we invite you to attend the ISA 2022 International Conference in Malmö, Sweden from the 12th to the 14th of September. More information and how to register can be found at www.isa-arbor.com. That's arbor, A-R-B-O-R.com. Thank you for listening to the Internet of Nature podcast. The show is an NA Media production.